wonder what you'll be doing this summer. Maybe that foreign holiday that you planned for just isn't going to be happening, or you've decided that you might want to wait and just ensure that everything settles down. But I'm sure for many of us, one of the key destinations that we will have on our agenda is visiting the beach, getting to the seaside and enjoying the benefits of being an island nation. But what are the risks and the issues that we face in visiting our seaside resorts? Or what could be the problems in obtaining a kayak and getting out on the local river? We've been delighted to speak to the RNNI and in particular Graham Richardson, who works in the Suffolk area to promote what they do and also to keep us up to date with how they've been facing the challenge of the reduction in fundraising over this last year. Graham, it's uh, really good that you've been able to join us today and we just look into the work of the RNLI in the area. So I think first things first, we've got to be clear, you are right this minute on call, on standby. I actually am, yes. Uh, it's, it's my my duty weekend. So yeah, you're, you're, you're ready. Does that mean a phone is... What, how, how does that actually work in, in practice? Uh, so over the weekend and out of hours, there is um, somebody of, of, of my position uh, and also uh, many other roles, uh, including health and safety and technical, etc., who are just there to support the, the volunteers um, and life savers with any out of hours needs. So for myself, that could be support of major incidents, uh, support of things that are happening for the technicians that could be um, boats that have broken down uh, and just to make sure that doesn't matter what time of the day or the night it is there is there are people there ready to support the the volunteers on call goodness so uh, for the you know times when you are called out on anything what what um what examples have you got over you know the last few years where, where that's arisen I feel very bad saying, luckily, it's rare, uh, especially <laughs> as the whole ethos of the organisation is people who are there ready to go at, at a moment's notice. Uh, but it, it has been to a lot of the things are day to day supporting where uh, stations might just need a hand with a decision, whether that be uh, examples of that might be the need to exceed the normal carrying capacity of a lifeboat, such as taking firefighters or paramedics to uh, places that they couldn't get to otherwise, uh, right through to supporting uh, major incidents. Uh, one that sticks in my mind was a few years ago the the search for Ben Quartermain at Clacton and just supporting the station with the inundation of um, offers of support, the press that were there, and actually the welfare of the crews, uh, 100% is is a huge importance to everything we do, uh, and just make sure that they got the the support that they needed to to get on with the job of of life saving. Oh, well, incredible stuff. So, uh, how did you get involved in the RNLI then, and uh, what's your what's your history then? Oh, um, so I've been in this role now for coming up to five years and it's, it, it's, it's without doubt the best job I've ever had. Uh, I was b- brought up in the northeast, always been down by the coast, um, part of the Sea Scouts, uh, part of the local sailing club, etc. And then when I moved to East Anglia, um, originally based in Lowestoft, um, I'd done some work with the Volunteer Life Brigades up in South Shields, which uh, predate the Coast Guard. Uh, and um, when I moved down, there's an opportunity to join the Coast Guard rescue team at Lowestoft Southwold. Uh, so I joined up there and I did loads of other things such as running the rescue team at Road Yacht Club, um, supporting Royal Norfolk and Suffolk Yacht Club as well, uh, and just 
when I moved down to Ipswich, unfortunately, had to give that up too far inland. It's the furthest inland I've ever lived, Ipswich. I'm feeling <laughs> very strange. Uh, and um, when you grow up and get married and you have to do things like get a proper job. Uh, and so it just so happens that um, this opportunity came up. I was traveling a lot for work uh, and I, this, this job role happened to come up and I was successful. And to get back on the coast, to get back amongst the emergency service community and actually to, it sounds really cliched, but to be able to support what are just amazing volunteers and i don't just mean the lifesavers i mean whether it be the person who stands in tesco all day on a december um all day, on a december snowy day and takes nine pound in a collection tin um i think that sometimes takes more resilience than it does to go out on the boat and so it really is um the best job i've ever had goodness so what, what you were just giving us a few examples there of your of uh, seafaring or sea interest uh, what 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 have you done in the past then is, is it all forms of boats that have had interest for you yeah so i um have predominantly been involved in small boats um so i um i say i was involved in rescue teams so a lot of rib work uh, as a powerboat instructor as well would go out to sea and, and train people in in small boats and for a small period of time i was down in portsmouth um worked full-time for the sea cadet corps down at hms excellent so i was involved in a lot of training uh, leadership training development work and had the opportunity to crew on the uh, the tall ships that got down there as well so that was that was a great opportunity uh, so it's been predominantly smaller things and so some of the lifeboats are um, quite large compared to some of that so and let's just have a little look at the rnli then so many of us will know world national lifeboat institution but what's the history of the rnli and what's its purpose as such so the RLI um, is the charity that saves lives at sea. Um, it's it's a great, great institution. Um, and I remember the first time I went down to Poole uh, and it was just incredible to see the campus down there um, with the Sir William Hillary building, etc. Uh, so it was formed in 1824. So it's coming up to its uh, 200th uh, birthday in a couple of years time. I believe the, the the plans for the celebrations are already in progress. But of course, that isn't the start of lifeboating. Uh, lifeboating exists long before that. And there's this famous stories, isn't it, of um, Grace Darling and also uh, some connections with Great Dunmo, um, who I believe um, somebody from that, I've forgotten his name now, was involved in the design of lifeboats. Uh, but the institution was formed in 1824. Um, and since then has been a real beacon uh, for for excellence in lifeboating. And of course, it's worth mentioning that not all lifeboats are, are an ally. Uh, certainly in East Anglia, we have independent lifeboats uh, in places such as Caister, uh, Munsley, uh, Sea Pauling and, and other places like that. And of course, not all lifeguards are an ally either. We provide a, a service, but uh, there's a long history of councils and uh, surf lifesaving clubs performing the, these roles as well. So we are part of the bigger picture. Uh, we are a charity, uh, so we are relying entirely on voluntary donations, and we are very lucky to have such a, a big supporter base as well. Um, we couldn't do anything we do without the the, the money that is so generously donated uh, and, and much appreciated. So in, in this area, uh, we have a number of lifeboat stations strategically placed around the East Anglian coast, uh, and we also have lifeguard services. So we provide lifeguard services uh, through North Norfolk uh, and as far south as Southwold. And is it just the sea then that uh, the RNLI operates in? So it's predominantly the sea um, as traditional lifeboats 
have done. But of course, uh, features of the coast around the United Kingdom and particularly around this area as well. There are lots of inland waterways, lots of inlets. Uh, so we do provide a service uh, inland as well if we can get to it. Uh, so uh, Harwich is a great example. A lot of the work they do is in the rivers Deben, Orwell, Stour. A lot of people don't realise that Ipswich's lifeboat is actually Harwich. Um, uh, covering right up through the lock into the into the Orwell, River Deben, the Stour, the Walton backwaters. We have a station 10 miles up river at Burnham-on-Crouch. Uh, and then other stations like Galston as well will provide um, rescue coverage for the broads as well. And we did used to have a, a station based in Alton Broad at one time. Yeah, and of course you've got Alborough as well. If you can sort of go along the coast, I'm just trying to think of what's in Suffolk. From yeah, so we do have Alborough. Uh, Alborough who do uh, a lot of their work is in the river for the inshore lifeboats. So they can launch either straight out to sea or they can actually hitch the lifeboat up to the uh, back of a truck and tow it down to the sailing club, which is considerably quicker than going all the way down and then back up the river. Uh, South will do a lot of work in the river as well. Um, and so, yeah, the, the options are endless, really. Yeah, if we can get to it, we'll, we'll do it. And of course, the fire service as well, it's worth noting, have got a huge water rescue capability. So things like lakes and um, particularly waterways that aren't connected to the sea are also really well covered by, by the fire service. Right, okay. And is the RNLI simply working in uh, Great Britain or does it work outside of that territory? So the RNLI... Um, we provide lifeboat services in uh, Great Britain and also Ireland as well. So despite being the Royal National Institute, we do have uh, lifeboat stations in, in both parts of Ireland. Uh, and we do have an international team uh, who will go out um, around, around the world, essentially as required, uh, and act as subject matter experts. And we've, we've done a lot of work uh, doing life-saving training, whether that be lifeguards or just water safety work um, around the world to try and make the waters around the world a safer place. So is there anything like the RNLI anywhere else in the world? I don't think, to my knowledge, there is anything quite like the RNLI um, that has everything the RNLI has, um, let alone being a charity. When you think about responsibilities around the world, there are um, tend to be um, the civil service equivalents. And I think a great example is the US Coast Guard uh, and, and uh, our European allies. Something like the RNLI that as a charity made up 96% of all lifesavers are volunteers. Um, to that extent, I don't think there's anything like it. Certainly not who build their own lifeboats, train their own crews. It's, it, it is an absolute machine. Astonishing, really. So on the subject of machines, that's a really good term to use, actually. Um, the, the craft that you use, um, the vessels that you use are different sizes. I mean, I'm, I'm able to see you and you've got a lovely image behind you of different um, types of, uh, of lifeboats. Uh, and they're all for different purposes for different conditions what how, how does that all work can you give they some are. Ideas? so we have so, we have numerous classes of lifeboat and these have been developed over um well since the rli existed uh, to best fit the circumstances uh, we can't put a lifeboat on the end of a pontoon at every place and the same class of lifeboat can't get into the same places. Uh, so we do have um, a wide variety right down from um, jet skis and watercraft and the Arantia, which is a very small rib that the lifeguards use, up to the seven class lifeboat, uh, such as the one that is at Harwich. Um, I mean, the advantage of that is it's a large vessel, a large platform, has a carrying capacity for casualties of um, over 120. Mm -hmm. um, 
and is a really good platform for something like the Port of Felixstowe and Harrodhaven area. Uh, there are other classes. The newest one is the Shannon class lifeboat, which is new for us because it was designed and built in-house. Uh, it is the first class of lifeboat that we have used that is jet drive rather than propellers. Um, and that has become so much more capable and flexible than the RLI ever imagined that the, the project has been extended and um, we've already exceeded the original number of boats and these are now being put out around the country. If you think of places like Oldborough where there is um, very little accessible waterway so that is a beach launch asset uh, and if you see Oldborough recover right now with their Mersey class lifeboat which has served them so well for 30 years uh, they, they basically run the lifeboat aground uh, then it's it's dragged up some skids up the beach put back on the trailer which is really labor intensive really quite dangerous there's um you've got wire under tension pulling this huge lifeboat up a beach with people standing there um so what the new Shannon and SLARS recovery system allows us to do is take the people risk out of it uh, and almost automate that process uh, to recognize the fact we don't have as many volunteers available all the time these days so the um the the that process is maybe a 12 person operation whereas the slars can be done with considerably less and it just means that stations where we can't put a slipway in or we can't have a pontoon we can still put a capable lifeboat in who can quickly get to see as safely as possible and get out and do the stuff and mm. then we go down to the um, atlantic 85 uh, which is a very capable boat and then finally the d-class which is the smallest lifeboat that we have uh, but also has saved more lives than any other class lifeboat in the fleet i'm really intrigued about this uh, one based at harry do you say that can accommodate 120 it's yeah, um, both so both the um, both the seven at Harwich and the Tamar, like the one that is at Walton and Frinton, um, they have carrying capacities of well over a hundred. Goodness me! So that's obviously in in consideration of the amount of shipping in in the area and being able to to take people off there. Absolutely. Um, it was good a couple of years ago to be able to test that. Um, there was a big exercise in Harrowhaven, uh, Exercise Adler, which was a major incident exercise. And uh, whilst we only had 100 casualties, it's very unusual for us to be able to put 100 people on board a lifeboat and let the crew deal with that. Um, so that was a real rare opportunity to test that. And I guess if you think about it, and I, I touch wood, it never happens, something like the European Gateway happening again, or Stena Britannica was to find itself in trouble, actually a carrying capacity of 100 is a drop in the ocean for one of these ships but in conjunction with other vessels um statutory authorities etc uh, can can make a real difference so again this is a really interesting point you've just referred to so statutory authorities by that you mean coast guard is that right is that the... so um yeah absolutely so there's the coast guard um who are the um civil service body responsible for maritime search and rescue in the united kingdom uh so they are our tasking and coordination authority they also have coast guard rescue teams which again are volunteers uh based around the coast who perform uh mud rescue search and rescue cliff rescue water rescue you'll see them in the blue the, the blue light vehicles around the coastline um we work with them the uh the fire and rescue service ambulance service uh police and then you've also got uh people like so in in this local area Harrowhaven authority port of felixstowe lowstoff harbour etc etc who also have pilot boats and they have responsibility for their waters for things like pollution incidents and um supporting maritime rescue and so i, I can imagine for something like that everybody's going to be involved 
Mm. And it's something we get to test now and again, which is which is great to test it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure those opportunities of effectively well, this isn't the right term for a sea <laughs> sea based situation, but a dry run of uh, of, a, of a particular incident uh, must be absolutely invaluable. Absolutely, and that said, the opportunity to test the crew with a hundred people on deck, all needing first aid or all needing at least checking over, just can't be simulated on a tabletop exercise. You've, you've got to do it. I think what just is striking me as you're talking about this is that we're saying that most of this work that's carried on offshore is carried out by a charity. And I guess if we were to put that into the context of what goes on in land, the fire service, police, ambulance, and so on, if we were to think that effectively having all of those funded by charitable means, that's what we're really talking about, but happening around the coastline. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, it you have to pinch yourself now and again to remember that uh, when you wake up in the morning and look at what's happened overnight um, and then realise that these were volunteers who'd been at work all day, been with their families and are then probably going to be getting up, getting their families up and then going back to work again. Uh, the fact it's all done by volunteers is just absolutely phenomenal. And I, I really do take my hat off to them because uh, it is it is just stunning what they do. And whether it be the like, let's say the lifesavers or the water safety volunteers, the fundraising volunteers, education volunteers who go into school. Uh, if you can think of any function, put a volunteer on the end of it. And we've probably got somebody who does it. And I think that's just phenomenal. It really is incredible, actually, the more you think about it, that, you know, people effectively just drop whatever needs to be done and get whatever they're doing and, and get on with what needs to be done. So is that becoming harder now? I mean, again, I suppose I just think of accounts of remarkable heroism within lifeboats. And you typically think of people who whose career was on the sea, uh, fishermen, fisher people, um, uh, you know, whatever it might be, but certainly those you know, accounts typically are of people whose, whose jobs took them in that direction and then volunteered to do this as well. Is that number shrinking? Is that pyramid harder to tap into now? I think there's two points there. First of all, the number of people coming from maritime backgrounds, yes, is absolutely shrinking. And when we look at our coastal communities now, the number of people involved in maritime uh, careers um, is is considerably lower the fishing fleet at places like Lowestoft and Alborough has almost, almost all but gone and Lowestoft has been replaced by the Windcats um, so it getting people from a maritime background is very difficult and as such our training package has had to really change almost to the assumption that anybody who comes on board has no maritime experience and if anybody who's listening has ever considered signing up and has felt they couldn't because of that, then don't let that worry you. We, we cover absolutely everything in the training from how to put wellies on correctly to how to coordinate a multi-agency search. So it is 100% from scratch. And we have the most incredible college down at Poole where you can practice the things that, again, you never want to do, like capsized drills, uh, firing flares, tying knots, uh, actually helming the, um, the lifeboats. And so everything is done in a safe environment at your speed uh, to get you up there. So if, if that has been a concern, then, then 
do get in touch. But secondly, volunteers generally, um, certainly volunteers with weekday daytime availability is, is tough. The world is changing and where in the past employers have been able to release people as the world is changing, whilst I, I know employers always want to support where they can, it's just not possible like it used to be. I think of some of my employment before when I was a Coast Guard, um, I really imagine those people probably wouldn't be able to release me, certainly to the frequency they did uh, now. And so times have changed. But 2020 was a very strange year. And actually, we found ourselves with everybody working from home or furloughed. Um, we found ourselves with more crew than, <laughs> than we're used to. It was a very strange situation. But now as lockdown is easing, people are getting away uh, and returning to the workplace. Then we are very much around the coast. Uh, and I'm sure other uh, emergency services such as the Coast Guard and the the on-call fire service feel it as well but weekday daytimes is is a struggle. So what are the criteria you look for for people who perhaps would be looking to volunteer? So it's it's very basic really we're looking for people who have availability um, like I said day, daytime nine to five is um, useful uh, but we are looking for people with, with availability and if by some miracle you had daytime availability and didn't have evening availability don't let that put you off if you work in one of the towns and then commute back in lands that's not necessarily a blocker uh, over the age of 18 for seagoing crew uh, and you have to complete a medical which is a, a, a standard uh, medical one of our medical advisors or local gp will do that which includes an eyesight test etc and then from there it's looking to make sure you uh, we do what's called acquaintance trips. So we'll take you out on the boat and just make sure that you're happy with us and that we're happy with you. And then from there, really, the commitment uh, is a requirement to undertake uh, 12 exercises a year, so roughly one a month, and then availability for calls. And what we try and do is we try and have too many people uh, so that as numbers diminish during the day and at weekends, we still are able to crew the boats as required 24-7. So as an example, Clacton have just uh, done a, a bit of a recruitment drive. So they've got maximum eight seats on the boats when the pages go off, but they've got a crew of 35. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the first date to be there that's that's great. It, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, I mean, the, the number of shouts that are life in danger is dropping. Um, I think it sits nationally at about 4% now, believe it or not. Life in grave and imminent danger, a lot of it is towing work, searching work, etc. So quite often it will be first, first through the door go. But also, if you live a little bit further away, haven't been afloat for a while, and the lifeboat can wait, if it was somebody who's broken down, perfectly safe, not going anywhere, just needs bringing home, then there's no reason potentially why the boat couldn't wait a few extra minutes uh, for somebody to come in. So we do try and rotate as best we can, but absolutely when it is one of those jobs that is, you need to go uh, first competent qualified crew through the door is out the door. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that it's, it's a reducing number of really serious life threatening, urgent uh, issues. You use some very official term that, uh, that certainly made sense to me on that. Um, again, is that because the, that generally the seaworthiness of vessels is much better than it used to be, or is it that they tend not, they tend to be more aware of weather conditions, a combination of all of those things? What's what, what's changed there? I think it is a combination of all of the above. Uh, we've done a lot of work, again, collaboratively with, with other people, uh, but a lot of work into water safety and our Respect the Water campaign has been very successful over, over recent years. Um, I think most people have probably seen the cinema advert or the, the tele advert of the, um, the 
person very hard hitting with their hand above the water slowly drowning um, and then the message to float on your back it's such a simple message I think that's had a huge effect technology is better than it's ever been uh, so the the ways you can um, alert if you're in distress or call for help life jackets so it's a, I think it's a real combination of education prevention but also response uh, we have the fastest best equipped lifeboats we've ever had we've got the best trained crew with the best equipment they've ever had uh, it stands us in a really strong stead however the number of coastal drownings every year whilst life-threatening incidents are dropping the number of drownings really are not dropping mm. and we are seeing give or take around the uk about 200 people a year drown and despite all of this that number is really struggling to drop so again, I've fallen into the trap of thinking lifeboats going alongside ships and all of those sorts of things, you know, they're in, in, in horrible weather. But actually, it sounds to me as though the big risk to people is actually someone on an airbed floating away from the seashore. Things like that, people getting cut off by the tide. Um, it's amazing how many people don't know what a tide is or how a tide works. Uh, I remember a, uh, a couple of years ago, there was an incident where a couple of people got rescued where they'd been cut off by the tide. And the comment they made was, well, we've, we've walked this everywhere every day for the last month and there's never been water. And people just not aware that the tide comes in and out the times of the tide change every day, the uh, height of the tide changes. And so I think there's a, a important message to people and we say if you're going to go to a beach try and go to a lifeguarded beach read the safety information that's there uh try and find out about it speak to your local coast guard or your local uh, lifeboat station who will have advice for you uh, but as an example last year um the rnli recognizes that we saved 239 lives and the the definition of a life saved is if we hadn't have gone to them and did what we did they would have died um is our very very uh, sort of strict criteria of a life saved um but they're saying we we aided around 8300 people give or take 23 people a day um so that that whilst there are peaks and troughs throughout the year and there are around east anglia some real hot spots um thinking out loud now around brancaster up in north norfolk and um people going out to the wrecks around south end who don't realize that the tide's going to come in behind them and um it can be very busy for those stations having to go and bring people back in who otherwise would have found themselves very quickly in the water. Goodness. So last year is a really good case in point because it was, a, I guess it was a game of two halves last year. So one, one part where no one did anything, uh, probably including your crews and staff and so on. And then the summer where everyone got their taste of freedom, was able to get outside, probably felt a lot safer being outside. Um, and I guess lots of, related issues as a result very strange year it started so well last year it really did um and then come march absolutely um boris made his announcement and and everything changed overnight uh we we basically um locked up shop where we closed down everything we were doing bar life-saving uh all courses at the college were cancelled uh, a lot of staff were furloughed um staff that weren't furloughed were uh working from home 
life uh, volunteers at lifeboat stations were asked not to go to the station unless there was a, a shout. Uh, even the method of how we launched our boats changed. And rather than crews piling into stations, getting changed and the coxswain helm choosing their crew, it was now everybody stand outside. The people who are needed uh, will be chosen, will go inside. Everybody else, please leave. Uh, so the whole community ethos of the RLI out the window very quickly to keep everybody safe. Mm. New PPE that had to be worn by everybody. Uh, all training stopped, all exercises stopped. It was literally, um, you go to the station if there is a shout and otherwise you stay away. Um, so very strange. And having to tell fundraising volunteers who live going out and raising money for the RLI, telling them to sit on their hands and to, to stay away was was very alien and very hard both to give and to receive, I'd imagine. Um, we, we just need to stop for the, for the greater good. And it's worth noting in our shops, in our fundraising teams, a lot of the volunteers are in the category that um, needed to shield. And so we, we, we did unfortunately lose a lot of people to shielding. Uh, and so it was, it was very strange times. And then, like you say, all of a sudden, summer comes along. I think people, everybody must have gone online and bought a canoe last year, I think, or a, an inflatable paddleboard or a flamingo. And come July, the water went mad. Uh, we provided a lifeguard service. It was not the full lifeguard service. We didn't do every beach. We also didn't know what the public was going to do. Um, nobody going abroad. We expected the beaches to be busy. We expected beaches where predominantly were quiet uh, to be busy and the beaches that are normally busy say around caravan parks etc which weren't open um, to be quieter than normal so it was a little bit of wait and see what happens and so we had lots of uh, volunteers out doing beach surveys uh, seeing where the busy beaches were and trying to target interventions um, but I'm, I think we all remember the headlines don't we have down on the south coast Bournemouth where where major incidents were declared actually the, the beaches in East Anglia were were incredible busy and the the incident numbers reflect that yeah and what, what's your expectation for this summer do you think it's going to be similar i think we're expecting a very similar summer to last year the great thing is we have 12 months of hindsight now uh, we've learned mm -hmm. a lot last year about uh, ways to do things uh, we we stopped doing everything last year, like I said, which I think was the right decision to keep everybody safe and work out what we can do this time round we've got more confidence in our ability to do things safely so yeah. our, our volunteers have continued to train over winter yeah. um, the social aspect is still very much out the window I mean some of the best conversations you can have is sitting around a table with a lifeboat crew that's that's gone that's out at the minute um, and but but the training has been able to continue which is great to, to minimize the skill fade we've even in the last uh, over winter been issuing lots of new equipment uh, such as new towing equipment for the all-weather lifeboats so taking the opportunity during the slow down to get this new kit out uh, we have good PPE now for to, to protect the guys uh, and also the lifeguard service have a year of experiencing life on the beach working with COVID what do you do if a missing child runs up to you what do you do if you've got to perform CPR on the beach and learning all those lessons uh, mm -hmm. so we are providing a full lifeguard service this year um, we are providing our usual lifeboat service and we've got so much messaging going out there as well and um, just about staying safe is now the right time to take on a new hobby um, and just be safe mm -hmm. Um, look after look after yourself, look after your families. And actually, if I could just add in there, look after our crews as well so they can look after their families and just ask people to, to be safe. Enjoy our coastline, enjoy your staycations, get out of the house, but please stay safe and keep everyone else safe. 
Yeah, you've just hit the nail on the head there about uh, the new hobby uh, aspect of, you know, let's let's go out and try something a bit different um, because I've got the time, uh, you know, I've got the, the, the freedom to be able to do it. I can't go abroad, so why don't I spend my money on, on whatever that might be? Was that a very significant issue last year? It certainly was. There was um, there was a combination of lots of um, inflatables, which are a problem every year, um, but also recreation on the water is not cheap, uh, but there are cheaper options out there, um, such as inflatable kayaks, etc. Uh, and there's one of the things I love and hate about this country at the same time is if you've got the money, you can go out right now and buy yourself a 50 foot yacht and you can go and sail around the world and i think that's brilliant however it's also very frustrating uh when it goes wrong um and so a lot of people did buy something and hit the water um certainly when i was out down dedham where um i've never seen the water around dedham so busy with uh both uh people swimming in the water which is really really taken off in the last 12 months people doing mm. uh, open water swimming and also things like kayaks etc and the message would just be um there are clubs there are um lots of organizations out there please please don't think i'm the fun police but just stay safe <laughs> know how to call for help uh, as an example we um a lot of people when they go kayaking or open water swimming won't take a mobile phone with them because it's going to get wet well we will provide free of charge a waterproof mobile phone holder and yeah. we have them um we will provide advice for this we have up in orford nest we have life jacket lockers so if you have a boat that is down there um and you don't have a life jacket to access it we have lockers with life jackets in it that we maintain uh, take one use it bring it back at the end we will do all we can to keep you safe um we, we just the message just stands know how to call help have a method with you to call help uh use a lifeguarded beach where you can uh and then the, the other message is of course the float to live message uh, to uh, stay safe uh, lie on your back get used to the water temperature uh, and then don't enter the water unless you have to, uh, and down 999 for the Coast Guard. Mm. I mean, you've worked really hard as an organisation to try and communicate those messages. Um, and certainly, you know, the line your back one is certainly one that I've heard. But is it, when I was a lad growing up, so I grew up in Felixstowe, the seaside town, and there were lots of, back in the day, what they called public information films, where, you know, at the end of Swap Shop on a Saturday morning, there would typically be, <laughs> I'm showing my age now, um, a public information film, which would be about something very serious. Um, and often they were about water and the dangers of water, you know, people who couldn't swim or the idea, and, and actually what just raised it in my memory was, was you just saying about someone who can buy a boat and in theory, just go out and do whatever they want. And, and those things, would have had a pretty captive audience because we only had, well, probably in those days, even three channels, never mind four. Um, but now you've got so many different ways in which people can communicate. It must be quite difficult for you to be able to target that message. It is. Um, it's really difficult, but so I mean, social media is also such a great tool for us as well. Mm. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm up to date with social media anymore, um, but we have partnered with various organisations. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of things out on um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, done some work with Lad Bible as well. And what's been really good over the last few years is we've actually done some work with casualties, people who have found themselves in trouble and then told their story. Um, 
a couple that spring to mind is uh, somebody involved in tombstoning who ended up with some life-changing injuries actually uh, afterwards and was able to say don't do this uh, and likewise there was um, very famously a few years ago there was a, a vlogger who um, took his phone on a pole and jumped off Tower Bridge uh, and suddenly found himself unsurprisingly in great difficulty in the River Thames and had to be rescued uh, and using both his footage and his testimony to, to tell the story and try and get it through uh, to the target audience. I mean 50% of all people who um, find themselves in the water needing rescue enter the water unintentionally so people who are walking along pontoons and slip people who uh, get washed in um people who have gone in afterwards and um, there's a, a big issue in parts of suffolk with uh dogs falling into the water or jumping into the water owners go in after them and i understand it uh, but guess what dogs are really good swimmers and about 10 seconds later you normally find the dog on the bank looking at the owner saying what are you doing in there mm. and the owner suddenly needs to be rescued um don't enter the water unless you really have to um there's a lot of throw bags out there a lot of rescue equipment on the side make use of what's there yeah, yeah, and I've seen, I've seen that. We were on holiday in Sheringham once, and there's quite a lot of rocks actually on the edge, and, and, and the current and the waves were really strong uh, coming on shore. And there were people going out swimming, and I just distinctly remember two of them basically just getting washed onto these rocks, and mm. they just couldn't, they had no energy to do anything, and they were just stuck there. People forget how cold the water in the UK is. Um, it, it sits at around about 12 degrees. It's not particularly warm. I um, I challenge people to run themselves a bath at 12 degrees and jump in. Uh, it's going to take some time to get used to the water. It really is. And even the lifeguards go through processes every day to, to make sure they're as acclimatised as possible. Uh, and we did a campaign over winter as well about lots of people around the coast who will try and get that perfect photograph in the storm, whether it be standing on the pier with the camera or right on the cliff edge. I remember seeing one picture, um, somebody down on the south coast, and they were right on the cliff edge, leaning over the barrier to get a picture. And when you actually looked and zoomed out, they were standing on an overhang, which could have gone at any minute. And is is it really worth it for that picture? Mm. So again, just going back to what we were just talking about. So although mainstream media may have fragmented, if you can get the right message out through social media, I guess through retweeting and people sharing stories, then actually potentially you can reach perhaps a different audience, but a significant audience nonetheless. Absolutely. And our target audience is predominantly males um, aged 18 uh, to 35 who uh, make up a, a large percentage of the uh, people who find themselves in, in the water crying assistance. And so it, it can be quite a difficult age to get through. We've gone through the school's education steps. They've then left. And so social media is, um, is such a great tool um, and it's, it's got to be used to its full advantage because it is going to be the, the way to get, get these messages out there. Yeah, so you're needing to deal with these um, ever-changing ways of communicating with the public for their own benefit and safety. You're also having to deal with, in the last year, more people being around the coast, using beaches, using rivers, open water swimming, kayaking, all of these things. Um, and yet you're doing that at a time when, I guess, last year, no marathons, very few charity raising activities uh, charity fundraising activities so yeah what's the financial situation like it was tough uh, and like i said earlier on telling all these dedicated volunteers to stop what they're doing um 
the collection boxes were all brought in, the um, summer events, uh, the open days, all our shops, uh, which do incredibly well. I've never known anything like how to like Christmas cards, um, who are probably, I don't know this for certain, but must be our best seller all year round. I know come March, April time, the shop managers are screaming out for Christmas cards. We need more. Uh, all this came to a, came to a halt. Uh, and th things were tough. Um, luckily, that was coupled with us stopping a lot of work. Uh, a significant number of staff were moved across to furlough. A lot of the project work we were doing um, was stopped. And so we were able to reduce our spend by about 30%. So that was able to offset um, a lot of the uh, loss that was found from uh, the money not coming in, although um, other streams of money were still coming in, sadly, um, although probably not a surprise, around 70% of all our income last year was legacies. Mm. Um, and whilst we're grateful for, for all um, those legacies that have been left, it's it's sad that it, it features such, such a high percentage, and I guess is a, a sign of 2020, uh, but we were able to reduce our work so much and just concentrate on the core life-saving um, that we were able to um, significantly offset uh, what could have been a hard loss otherwise. How's things looking for this year in terms of the um, giving fundraising side? Um, okay, we've started to open up. So our shops started to open up um, uh, with the roadmap. We are now doing targeted um fundraising events where they can be done safely outdoor with as little interaction as possible we've also over the new year over the last year sorry um tried new things so our online shop was was relaunched and has been really successful and things like uh, contactless payment probably couldn't have come at a better time really and so where we've been able where lifeboat stations have nice big viewing windows to be able to put a contactless a device almost stick it to the window where people can tap and make a donation is is oh, been great. incredible yeah. uh, so that that's made that's made a difference um but we uh we are confident that we're ready for the the challenges of 2021 and beyond financially and um so far so good so your view is that this summer is going to be similar to to last in many ways more people on the beaches more people as you say taking up new hobbies um trying them despite you perhaps warning them that now isn't the time and, and so it's being prepared. Of course, Suffolk is really, you know, the coast gives Suffolk its form, isn't it? It's something that, that gives Suffolk its unique um, you know, agricultural side too, you know, going inland. Uh, but the coast makes Suffolk, I would argue. Um, so, yeah, what, 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 what can we do about that? What, what words can we share with people around us? I mean, Suffolk has absolutely beautiful coastline, doesn't it? We're so lucky to have it. Um, and I think some of the beaches we've got, um, absolutely phenomenal and coastal towns as well. Um, we're lucky that a significant amount of uh, Suffolk is lifeguarded, uh, uh, Lowestoft and Southwold. Um, the advice would be to go to a lifeguarded beach. Um, if you're in any doubt, speak to the lifeguards and ask them. Uh, swim between the red and yellow flags at all times. If the red flag is flying, um, it's dangerous. And it's not just dangerous for people going in, it's dangerous for the lifeguards going in after them. If the windsock's flying, it's because it's windy. Um, use common sense a little bit, um, do some research. But places like Oldborough, where we don't have uh, a lifeguard service or even any of the rivers, just stay within your depth, stay safe. 
let people if you go and by yourself let people know where you're going how long you're going to be where you expect to go and just do all you can to stay safe uh, and in any doubt at all if you find yourself in difficulty or see somebody in difficulty dial 999 ask for the coast guard keep your eyes on the casualty and help will come to you mm, that's very wise advice uh, well graham i think um, for anyone who's had any connection with the sea the rnli just one of those organisations that we have a huge amount of respect for. And, uh, you know, the work that you and your colleagues carry out around the coast is absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, just thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for spending some time with us today to communicate these really important messages as we come into these summer months. Thank you for your time. And thank you to everyone listening who supports us. Um, it's really appreciated. And we couldn't do anything we do without the support we get from the public. So I really want to thank Graham for the opportunity to speak with him and understand something more, not just of the risks that we could put ourselves in, but the risks that we could potentially give to other people for not thinking through the consequences of our actions when on the water. So I hope that you'll stay safe this summer and I hope that you'll be able to join us on the next edition of Suffolk Money. I want to thank my team for all their help in putting this together uh, for Sally and for Kevin and for all of those involved in supporting Suffolk Money. Thank you once again.